This week on Motherhood is Political. If you followed any of the elections, you may know that CRT was a really hot button issue. So much so that people were getting into actual fistfights at school board meetings. Like, I was like, is this a school board meeting or a Jerry Springer episode? I'm, I'm not sure, like, what exactly is going on? It was getting really heated, and folks were very, very passionate about this topic. And so, you know, when, when it comes to what our kids learn in school, it can get a little bit dicey because you want to trust that teachers have their best interests, but you also want to make sure that you're clear on what your kid is learning. And so with CRT, there are all these buzzwords, and I feel like it's a lot of rumors around it, okay? Okay? And so I want to really dispel a lot of those rumors and kind of break it down. Because if someone were to ask you, explain in one sentence what CRT is, you may not be able to tell them. Hey, mamas, I'm Ardenia, host of Motherhood is Political. I'm your progressive BFF with the T on mom life, politics, and culture. And today, I feel like I need a drum roll or something. This episode is about CRT. Okay, we're talking CRT, better known as critical race theory. And this is a super scary topic, so much so that I feel like we need the Jaws music playing. It's kind of ominous. Do we go ahead and cue the Jaws music for a second? Yeah. Yeah, that was appropriate. Okay, because this is scary stuff, but we're going to work through it. I know that together we can figure out how we're going to tackle this tough topic because we are moms and moms can do hard things, okay? I believe in you, all right? So if you're all ready for this episode, we're gonna jump right into it. Today, critical race theory. Now in an earlier episode, I talked about talking to your kids about race and it's a wonderful episode. So if you haven't listened to it yet, y'all go over, download it, check it out. It is full of gems and you're going to want to listen to that one first before we jump into this topic. But for those of you who did catch that episode, today we're taking it a step further and we're talking about how your kids learn about race or not in school. And that gets down to critical race theory. So this is a bit of a continuation of that. And you've probably heard CRT 5,000 times and you're like, what, what the hell is that? So we're, we're going to unpack that today because politicians are talking about it. The moms in the pickup line are talking about it. Your neighbors and them are talking about it. You know, everybody is going on and on about this topic. And the fact is, this is one of those interesting topics that really does relate specifically to parents. Unlike a lot of other political issues that may touch on parenting or maybe parent adjacent, CRT is front and center. Why? Because it has everything to do about how our kids learn what their education is like, what we're talking to them about when it comes to race and culture in these really difficult times. So parents are really on the front lines of this topic. This is about our babies. This is about their education. This is about how we teach them history and how we frame it for them. And not only is it about race and culture, but it's about what they learn about themselves, right? And how they show up in the world. So that's why this is a big freaking deal. So today, mama, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the PTA mom. I'm talking to the busy executive mom. I'm talking to the mompreneur. Any dads out there, I'm talking to you soccer dads because this is important for you too. Because every single one of us has a stake in this topic and every single parent in this country is invested. Okay, so last year, parents and school leaders were getting to these heated debates. And if you followed any of the elections, you may know that CRT was a really hot button issue, so much so that people were getting into actual fistfights 
at school board meetings. Like, I was like, is this a school board meeting or a Jerry Springer episode? I'm, I'm not sure. Like, what exactly is going on? It was getting really heated. And folks were very, very passionate about this topic. And so, you know, when, when it comes to what our kids learn in school, it can get a little bit dicey because you want to trust that teachers have their best interests, but you also want to make sure that you're clear on what your kid is learning. And so with CRT, there are all these buzzwords, and I feel like it's a lot of rumors around it, okay? And so I want to really dispel a lot of those rumors and kind of break it down because if someone were to ask you, explain in one sentence what CRT is, you may not be able to tell them, right? You may be like, I think it has something to do with race or you know, something about indoctrination and they teaching the babies all this crazy stuff. Well, I'm, I'm going to dispel a few of those myths for you. OK, first and foremost, CRT is not new. OK, it is over 40 years old. So this was developed way back in the 70s and it was developed by two legal scholars. Second of all, I want you to know that CRT was never intended for K through 12 education. So we're hearing a lot about like what our kids are learning and they're teaching first graders all this racial propaganda. In all likelihood, your kid is not learning CRT. They may be learning some other things, but it's probably not CRT. The other thing that's important to know is CRT isn't about individual bias. It's actually about systems, okay? So it's not about whether your cousin uses the N-word when Gold Digger comes on, okay? Tell your cousin, don't do that, by the way. And it's not about whether your problematic aunt is quoting InfoWars. It's really not about individual bias. It's about systemic bias and structural racism, okay? So the focus is not on the individual, it's on the system. Also, CRT isn't the same as cultural awareness training. So you may hear people talk about diversity and equity and inclusion, and it's a really big topic in colleges and universities and companies. That's not the same as critical race theory. Those are two discrete and separate ideas, all right? CRT also does not teach anti-racism whole of the book and whole of the chapter, all right, for a whole of the day. And finally, CRT really doesn't replace U.S. history, okay? U.S. history teaches what happened in this country. Some of it's great and some of it is horrific. That's the, na that's the nature of history. And so CRT isn't designed to replace that. CRT is just a whole separate way of learning, again, basically at a graduate level. So if someone tells you that, you know, your kid is learning CRT in fifth grade, in all likelihood, that ain't the truth, okay? So let's talk about what is CRT and what does it teach? Because, I mean, it's a theoretical model that these legal scholars came up with. So first and foremost, it was a tool developed to look at how laws and systems in this country affect people of color, period. So if you want to just sum it up, CRT is about how laws affect people of color in the United States. That's basically what it talks about. And it was developed by two scholars named Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell, uh, you may or may not have heard those names, but they're sort of the foremother and forefather of the CRT movement. Now, there are a series of core beliefs when it comes to CRT. This is what starts to piss people off, but this is where we need to unpack it. And the first thing is that CRT theorists believe that race is a common occurrence in the United States and that it is built into the system and the fabric of this country. In other words, that racism is systemic. That's pretty much the fundamental tenet of CRT. It also, again, doesn't attribute racism just to white people or really to any particular group of people. It believes that it's not individual actors going around making these problems happen, happen but the system 
in and of itself. And by systems, I'm talking the legal system, the banking system, the educational system, whether or not you get a loan or can apply for a house. These are the systems that are in place that may make it more difficult for people of color. Okay. CRT also believes in this idea called interest convergence. That is basically a fancy way of saying that laws and policies won't change in this country until the majority in power, you know, it's in their best interest. Okay. So let me give you an example of that. Many of you may be familiar with this ruling called Brown versus Board of Education. And it's basically what integrated schools in the United States. So perfect example here. And so what happened was you had this notion of schools being separate but equal. There were schools for black kids and they were separate. And there were schools for white kids. And as you may know, the schools for black kids had inferior books. They didn't have good resources. They didn't get the same funding that public white schools had. So even though the idea was separate but equal, it was separate, but it was never equal. Okay. And so Brown versus Board of Education integrated schools for the first time and and made that go away. Well, why did that happen? Was it because somebody woke up and said, you know what? I think these black kids need a fair shake. Someone may have, but what really happened is we were in the middle of a Cold War And American veterans, black veterans, were coming home, having bravely fought for other people's freedoms overseas. And they came home and they started demanding those same freedoms. So a lot of racial tension was happening. And the U.S. was like, this does not look good. It's not a good look to have your soldiers go overseas, fight for freedom and not have the freedom, you know, be afforded to them at home. And so recognizing that it was going to be an embarrassment to the U.S. and also recognizing that it was going to undermine their authority as a global leader, it was in their best interest to integrate education and other systems so they looked like the powerful nation they claimed to be. That's interest convergence. So it benefited people of color, but it also benefited the United States government. Okay, so that's the third tenet. The fourth one And this one is really deep, y'all, is that race is a social construct made up by people. Okay, so CRT theorists believe that race was basically invented by humans to categorize other humans. Race is not fundamentally biological. It really has no biological meaning. So African-American is not a race. It may be an ethnicity. It may be a culture, but it is not a race. And so the color of your skin, any particular medical things that you may be predisposed to is determined by genetics and DNA and not race. And the problem with race is that it has been invented as a construct, not only to classify people and to categorize them, but also to discriminate against them and oppress them and, you know, come up with these crazy ideas that one particular race is superior to another. So race as a social construct is one of the fundamental ideas of CRT. All right, y'all following? Because I know this gets a little bit academic, but it's important we understand this. The other one is that CRT theorists believe that race is intersectional. And you may have heard on a previous episode that I talk about intersectionality. That is, I am a black woman, and that means that my blackness and my womanhood and my spiritual beliefs and all of that come together and intersect to make me the mom I am. I don't separate my blackness from my womanhood. I don't separate that from my beliefs. I don't separate that from from my gender identity, they are all interconnected. And so according to CRT, all of that makes us who we are and you can't divorce one from the other. 
All right. And then finally, CRT talks a lot about storytelling. Okay. It's this idea of storytelling and counter storytelling. And what that means is, in a nutshell, whoever tells the story shapes the narrative. Okay, so whoever's in power, whoever has the authority to tell stories, whoever has the authority to write books and controls the press, that is the person or the group of people who control the narrative. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. Anybody familiar with Aunt Jemima pancake mix? Okay, been around for many, many years. It's that box of pancake with the smiling black lady on the front. If you remember the image from years back, it was a different black woman or rather a different image on that pancake box. And that pancake box was basically representative of a time in history where black people were servants. So the image on the pancake box was Aunt Jemima and Aunt Jemima was basically a mammy. okay, who cleaned up the house and took care of kids and, you know, was at pretty much the service of her white employer. And so you can imagine that's basically a racist stereotype, but it was essentially the logo and the visual branding for this pancake mix forever. It just recently got retired. Now the name is like Pearl Milling now. It's a really odd name. Go figure. I don't really get it. But the fact is, Aunt Jemima was the iconic face of that pancake mix forever. Another example is Uncle Ben's rice. Here we go again. The uncle that's on the cover of the rice, you get nice instant rice. It's separate. It's fluffy. And, you know, it's not all sticky. It's wonderful. But the image is problematic. Uncle Ben, again, was a subservient type figure that dated all the way back to the antebellum South. And it was all about black people being of service to white owners, property owners, bosses, etc. But these were enduring images. People didn't even think about the fact that Uncle Ben's rice was racist necessarily. They just liked the rice and they just bought it. Another example, another problematic example, the Washington Redskins. So until 2020, the football franchise in Washington was known as the Redskins. I think you can safely say that that was crazy in terms of turning a whole uh, group of people into a mascot. It is problematic on about 13 different levels. Um, People would come to Redskins games dressed up in full headdress. Some of them would paint their faces red. I mean, this was happening, y'all, until two years ago. Okay, so these are the types of images that are built into the system. Why? Because the majority are the people in power told the story and shaped the narrative. And it took decades for us to be like, guess what, y'all? That's 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 problematic. You can't do that anymore. And the recent protests are kind of what galvanized that movement for us to start having some of these real difficult conversations. Okay, so I feel like that's a good segue because storytelling is a really important point here. And basically what you have with CRT are two different stories about race in this country. People who believe that racism is still alive and well, that it is systemic, and that it impacts people of color and their lived experience on a daily basis. And then you have a separate group who believes that's over. That's a thing of the past. We don't have to worry about that. It's time to move on. Okay? So here is the story of CRT. According to conservatives, it goes something like this. They believe it is divisive and inherently racist because it teaches white people in general and white children in particular to feel bad about themselves, to be embarrassed and ashamed 
of their whiteness. Okay. They also believe that systemic racism basically does not exist. That is not a thing. That is not a problem. We have moved on from that. And what they do is they point to the success of black folks and say, well, you've got all these people who've experienced all these great successes. So that shows that the United States is a meritocracy. So if you work really hard and you push yourself and you're determined, you're going to be successful no matter what. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what your race is. The U.S. is a meritocracy. It's a fair and equal level playing ground. Anybody can win, okay? They also reject the idea of white privilege, like full stop. They're like, there's no such thing as white privilege. We don't believe that. There are no inherent advantages that white people have over any other group of people. There are poor white people. There are disadvantaged white people. This is really a rich and poor thing, and it's not a black and white thing, right? And then furthermore, they believe that, you know, CRT really categorizes white people as the oppressor and black and brown people as the victim. And they hate that. They're like, I mean, black people should be offended by this too, because you all aren't victims and you worked really hard and your ancestors worked really hard to get here. And so that's not a real fair categorization. So they believe that that in and of itself is racist. Furthermore, they think, you know, the classroom is just not really the place to talk about race. I don't want Miss Sally teaching my kid about that. I don't want Miss Jenkins in PE class talking about that. This isn't appropriate. So race and sex ed, that's off the table. Don't talk to my kid about that. That's my job. That's not the job of the school. All right. And then finally, they maintain that CRT is Marxist, is anti-capitalist, is anti-democratic, and fundamentally anti-American. So from their perspective, this is a really divisive topic that is going to drive a wedge in American society. And, you know, America's going to go up in flames. I mean, kind of is already. But, you know, the theory is that CRT is going to be one of the reasons it happens. Right. And so I want you to know that CRT was such a big deal with conservatives that Fox News mentioned CRT as a phrase over 1300 times in the span of four months. 1,300 times, okay? That's how big of an issue this was for this particular group. And so you see how those two stories are different, right? We have one central theme about race in America, what it is and what happened. You have one group that's like, this is a problem. We need to continue to unpack it. We've got a lot of work to do. And we have another group that says, this is not a problem. This is a figment of our imaginations. This is a leftist agenda and it's time out for that. Okay, and so now I want to talk a little bit about the person behind this movement. Like, how does CRT become a thing? Why do I care? Why are we talking about it? And you might be a little bit surprised to learn whose idea this was. It's a guy named Christopher Rufo. All right. He is not a politician. He is not involved in politics, really, in, in any kind of official way. But he was basically an everyday conservative uh, journalist and documentary filmmaker. And so what happened was someone in the city of Seattle sent him some information on some anti-bias training. And they were like, hey, you know, someone has me sitting in this awful workshop and they're talking about, you know, anti-racism and whiteness and all this other stuff. And I really hate it. And so he had them send it over. He took a look at it. And he was like, oh, okay, this is this is really interesting. And so he started digging and doing some research and was like, oh, okay, there are a lot of federal employees across the country who have to take this training. Now, I want to pause here. Anybody who has taken anti-bias training knows that some of it sucks. Okay, I'm the first to say it. Like, if you've had to sit through a diversity workshop, you might rather have a root canal first. It is 
boring. It is not necessarily interesting. You know, the person who is delivering the content just may not be that good. And so most people really aren't looking forward to this kind of stuff, you know, just in general. But definitely when you start talking about race, eyes start to roll, right? And so what happened was over time, he started noticing a theme around what this training looked like. And the theme to that was that all of it cited critical race theory at its core. Now, stay with me because this is training for government employees. This ain't got nothing to do with school. This has to do with the federal government. But he he kind of saw this as a dog whistle. And he was like, oh, critical race theory. That sounds kind of ominous. And that sounds kind of serious. So let me dig into this a little bit more. And so he finally got the attention of Tucker Carlson, who is, as you know, on Fox News, he is like the patron saint of conservative talking heads. And he was on his show. Next thing you know, he's a media darling. He is like the face that's front and center in the, of this movement. And then Trump's advisor comes a calling and says, hey, I heard about this critical race theory thing. Come talk to us about it. And fast forward and a, a little while later, he is at the White House drafting an executive order that's basically changing the way that federal employees learn about race. Like, that's how it happened. Like, this man who was writing in his living room one day is now at the White House drafting policy. So that's what happened. So the media loved it. They were like, we got a boogeyman. Like, this is awful. Like, forget Jesse Jackson. We got critical race theory. Okay, this is what we're going to latch on to. And it really became a political issue. So now it's 2020. It's the height of the pandemic. We have a ton of civil unrest. We've got all of these protests happening. And folks are like looking for a way to gin up the base. Everybody was at home. Remember, there were no football games. There were no basketball games, no baseball games. There were really no distractions for probably the first time in American history. So this topic was on the news 24-7. Nobody was outside, right? Not yet. We weren't outside, outside. We were inside. And these conversations wouldn't go away and we couldn't look away. So it was really the first time that Americans had to sit down and have a conversation about race, okay? And so for a group of people on the left, this was about an awakening and a reckoning. Like, finally, we're going to have some real-ass conversations about race in this country. But for people who were more conservative, they were like, that's not cool. Like, th this is anarchy. Folks are, like, looting and, you know, just running and tearing up the streets and burning down buildings. And this is crazy. And so you had one thing that was happening with two different perspectives. And so for the first time, race was taking center stage. It was on everybody's television. Everybody was talking about it at coffee shops and in your neighborhood and walking the dog. Like, it was undeniable. You started seeing Black Lives Matter sign and and neighborhoods you wouldn't even imagine, right? And you started seeing like all of this visual, visible support for this movement. And so I want you to remember that these were young people at the forefront of this movement. I mean, adults were doing the talking and we were doing the postulating, but it was our kids and young people who were out there protesting. So they estimated that between roughly 15 to 25 million Americans protested in this particular summer and fall, that 15 to 25 million. That is literally single-handedly the biggest movement in terms of protest that has ever been experienced in this country. That That is a huge amount. And so because race was becoming this real talking point for young people, they wanted to talk about it. Like it was just natural that they wanted to talk about it to their friends. They were hopping on social media, having these conversations. And what that also meant is that they wanted to talk about it in school. All right. And then this is where it gets 
real interesting because the kids were like, we got to talk about race. We got to talk about privilege. We got to unpack this. I want to talk to my teacher about it, my, my classmates, my teammates. And conservatives were like, hold on, not so fast. So you had this push and pull of young people who were largely eager to have this conversation and a lot of teachers who wanted to really unpack this because it was affecting their kids in a real way. And you had other people who were like, this ain't the time and this ain't the place. We're not having this conversation right now. Okay. And so CRT now wasn't just about advantages and disadvantages. It wasn't like this abstract concept. Race became this thing that was the hot topic for like every person in America and our children included, okay? And we, we couldn't look away. And so the thing I want you to know about critical race theory is that everything became critical race theory, okay? What was regular U.S. history was now critical race theory, all right? What was a conversation about the civil rights movement? It was coined critical race theory. Social justice and activism all became critical race theory. All right. And so there was a lot of pushback to that. And there was a lot of, you know, tension around that because, again, the United States was now having to have real live conversations. America was burning. The country was on fire. People were pissed. They were no longer accepting the status quo when nobody's sitting at the back of the bus. It was in your face. And these real conversations had to be had. And for the first time, there was this huge divide about where we were going to go and how we were going to get there. Okay, so now you've got adults who are having conversations, parents who are having conversations and students who are demanding that we start having these conversations, not only at home, but in our classrooms. And when that friction started and when that tension started to build, that's when all hell broke loose. Next week on Motherhood is Political, all hell is breaking loose around this debate, not only really about CRT, but really race in general, because what we're having is a racial reckoning. All right, ladies, it has been real. This has been a pleasure being with you today. Look out for more content. Check show notes. We have more awesome, amazing info coming at you every week. Take good care of yourselves. And remember, motherhood is political.